Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. Happy New Year as well. My name is Charles, and with me today, as always, is my lifelong friend and co-host, Dylan. I'm ready to talk some fantasy with my friend, Charles, for another year, at least. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> at least one more year guys no Let's promises beyond that but <laughs> i mean who can promise beyond that that's already a pretty yes. big promise a full year you know it's january mm-hmm. after all and um, our first episode back from our little end of the year beginning of the year break and um you know we're in the process of finishing the powder mage trilogy so while we are busy doing that we have a new book to discuss today this is one that I decided to pick up during our little uh, holiday break. Uh, it was a book that I had bought forever ago, and it's just been tantalizing me from the bookshelf for all this time. This beautiful, brightly colored copy of The City We Became, a novel by N.K. Jemison, book one of what I believe is called The Great Cities duology. Mm. So, The City We Became. Wow. A duology. And I know you've been enjoying this book, Charles, because uh, you didn't even show up to the FTF holiday party. I know you're too busy, too engrossed. <laughs> I don't in, think I was invited uh, to the FTF holiday party. This is the first time I'm hearing about it. <laughs> uh, I must have got lost in the mail. But oh, I see. Yeah, I see. you were super engrossed in the city we became and mm-hmm. i haven't read the book but i'm not surprised that you had a great time with it because it's by three-time hugo award-winning author nk jemison who uh, we've i've read her entire broken earth trilogy and you read the fifth season was that this last year who who can even tell at this point but charles rather than continuing with her hugo award-winning series that has uh, you know every single book being a hugo award winner you decided mm-hmm. to take a different route and you, uh, mm-hmm. you took that right route all the way into the city we became that is well said, Dylan. You know, it's interesting. I had read the fifth season, like you said, on the show. We discussed it. And um, instead of picking up the other two, there's a reason I jumped into the city we became. But before I say that, I just want to correct the record. She is a four-time Hugo Award winner. Oh, but no. She is famous for um, sweeping the Hugos for three consecutive years for her Broken Earth trilogy. So, uh, What was the fourth the, one? The fourth Hugo was for Best Novelette in 2020 for Emergency Skin. Uh, that was um, interesting. also around the same time that she released this book. I believe The City We Became was a Goodreads Choice Award nominee for Best Fantasy. Not quite the same thing as winning yeah. a Hugo, but uh, <laughs> still a pretty d- distinguished uh, award, of course. Um It did not win, but uh, there's a reason I read this one, because I was visiting family in Queens, and so I was like, I'm going to be in the city, I'm going to be in Queens for like five days, six days. Queens isn't the city, Charles. You've been living out of New York too long. It's one of the boroughs, it's one of the boroughs, but if you're saying the city, 
I mean, you're talking. I mean, I was in Manhattan and Brooklyn and and everywhere else. We were staying in Queens, which if you were to read this book, then you would know it is part of the city. I have definitive proof right here uh, by you're saying four time Hugo Award winning N.K. Jemison is wrong. Then if if that's where you're going. So I'd tread carefully with that position there. But yes, I was in one of the boroughs of New York City (laughs) and um, I was like, this is a great way to get me in the mood of new york and it was a very um strategic pick on my part i ended up really kind of setting the scene for my whole trip which i greatly appreciated because this is a story firmly rooted in new york and there's you know new york isms all over the place and before i get too far into that why don't i start with a little back of the book or i guess inside cover because it's one of those fancy ones that just has a bunch of praise for nk jemison not even this book. Most of it is just for her as an individual. <laughs> this one is uh, Neil Gaiman actually praising this book, and then the rest are just other stuff. You know how they do that. But um, I'll just dive into the back of the, the insert here. So, in Manhattan, a young grad student gets off the train and realizes he doesn't remember who he is, where he's from, or even his own name. But he can sense the beating heart of the city, see its history, and feel its power. In the Bronx... A Lenape gallery director discovers strange graffiti scattered throughout the city, so beautiful and powerful, it's as if the paint is literally calling to her. In Brooklyn, a politician and mother finds she can hear the songs of her city pulsing to the beat of her Louboutin heels, and they're not the only ones. Every great city has a soul, some are ancient as myths, and others are as new and destructive as children. New York City, she's got six. And that is... The City Ooh. We Became by N.K. Jemison. Wow. So yep. I didn't hear anything about Queens specifically in there, but <laughs> there I is will a say character it sounds who, very interesting. Her name's Podmini, and, and she is the avatar <laughs> for Queens. And, and that leads me into how this <laughs> magic system works. They call it urban fantasy. I would call it more like a action sci-fi book. But the way it works is like a really interesting um I'll call it a magic system for lack of a better parallel here, but it's that in the world, if cities are old enough, have enough significant culture behind them, they come alive essentially. And when they come alive, there's a human that is selected as the avatar for the city and they become the city personified and and mm. they have these abilities to connect with the city and protect it from otherworldly uh creatures that would seek to uh destroy it there's some interdimensional warfare going on and um the interesting premise is that when there's enough of a culture and significance a city becomes alive but that enters it into this like crazy interdimensional battle <laughs> cities versus these <laughs> other space-like creatures described as having these long white tentacles that try and take back the city and destroy it so um new york is it takes place in modern day new york and new york is the first city in america to become alive Mm -hmm. and it's the first like living city of this of this era so um it's interesting premise on its own and then the 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 structure is okay there's one primary person who is new york and then there are five people that represent each borough and so the story kind of goes through (laughs) switching the narratives of all these people becoming like 
unknowingly becoming avatars for each borough and what that's like. And there's a lot of action pieces where they immediately get attacked by um, these creatures and they have to fight back and they, they're still trying to figure out what happens and they're trying to find each other. Um, and the premise is that like the city's born, but it's super vulnerable. And the only way to protect it is to get the band together and, and then save mm. the day, you know? So that's the premise and yeah, that's a it's a very unique magic system, Dylan. I don't know if you've um, experienced anything quite like it. I know I haven't really. Yeah, well, unique was the unique word that was foremost. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, unique New York, unique New York. Loose lips sink ships. Uh, I think that the <laughs> the idea of this magic system is just not like anything else I've ever. <laughs> heard of or mm -hmm. considered which is unsurprising when you're talking about nk jemison who uh, i would say is one of the great creative minds of our time and i think <laughs> all the accolades speak to that mm -hmm. as well all four of the hugos not three and mm -hmm. i think that it's it's super cool i can relate to the idea of a graduate student arriving uh in a, in a big city <laughs> and then lo losing track of their name and their life history um it, you know fort collins i could just hear it beating heart <laughs> i think fort collins is a little fort longer collins, to go Colorado. before it becomes uh its own its own city living city but actually in okay. the book it says new orleans tried but it failed um, like it went through the birthing really? process, but then the avatar died and it failed as a city. And so that was the first one. Uh, so wow. New York was the first one to kind of survive, but it's still highly vulnerable. So Take no that. other American city. Colorado's probably lower on the list than some others. Denver but, uh, would probably happen before Fort Collins. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. New Orleans is an interesting one. I mean, you live mm -hmm. there and that was, it, while it's a very vibrant culture in that city mm. which i guess maybe that is the primary indicator otherwise mm -hmm. you'd think like there's much bigger more prominent cities in america like i guess los angeles didn't make the cut or chicago mm -hmm. or boston right. i mean right boston they're, they're all Miami. probably close and what's interesting is like i think one of the main themes of this is you know gentrification and so mm. when you when a lot uh, N.K. Jemison devotes a lot of time to figuring out like what is it about a city that makes it feel alive and what gives a city life and what about New York is is alive about it you know and she spends a long time covering all these different New York isms which as two people who have had a lot of experience living on Long Island and going into the city, um, mm -hmm. getting some of that influence. And I had worked in Manhattan for a few years after college. So being a commuter and and knowing the city like that, I think adds another level of entertainment. I feel like if you were someone who is, you know, has no experience with New York City and picks up this book, you'd still be able to enjoy it. But there's just something about like, oh, she got that like, ism just right you know like she, right. she talks about very specific new york things like being frustrated about just random very new york things on the subway or um you know the, the specific bridges and directions and the central park you know she goes at mm -hmm. grand central station you know she goes everywhere and um one of the main things she talks about is why these avatars were chosen 
to represent their boroughs and why the city is alive. And so she kind of taps into the heart of like, there is a power when all these groups of people come together. And she's like, what makes a New Yorker? It's like, well, it's not necessarily living here your whole life. It's coming for a fresh start and like this mm. world of opportunity and all of that. And of course, it's no coincidence that the these mythical creatures are these long white tentacles right and it's also no coincidence that the that kind of creature the very beginning she's in it's introduced as a woman called woman in white and she tries she tries to subvert all of this cultural um cornerstones of the city like uh we mentioned uh the bronx her name's bronca is a uh art director and one of those very early scenes is the woman in white is the she starts this coalition called like the greater new york association and like she infects people and they go in and they try to put like racist art in her art exhibit and she says no so then they go to social media and say oh they're racist against white people they won't put our art in the exhibit and that's kind of how they fight sometimes sometimes they fight physically like throwing trains at a tentacle monster and sometimes they fight for the culture war of you know very modern like alt-right social media stuff is a very strong presence in this and they're fighting that war too and so it's kind of these these two fronts um so it's a very big part of that. And like, you know, the the you know, there's all the stuff about buying out properties using uh using these shell corporations, like the Starbucks is like the channel for evil, like in some of these uh places, wiping out their identity and stuff like that. So uh it, it's a not subtle social commentary throughout. It's actually very, very vocal about the social commentary that uh, N.K. Jemison has around um, gentrification, especially in New York City. Yeah, I'd be interested to read about that because N.K. Jemison has this incredible gift to take something even as removed from our own world as her Broken Earth trilogy is, mm -hmm. despite the Earth being in the name. Uh, this mm -hmm. is an entirely uh, foreign world that we're seeing over there. But it's just very clear when you're reading the story that it works both as this incredible, epic, dark fantasy tale, in mm. addition to working as incredible social commentary. And I mean, that's that's the kind of stuff that's brought her to this next oh, yeah. level. Of, yeah. Uh, yeah, in terms of the awards, in terms of her uh, recognition, all of that kind of stuff, uh, where, you know, she's going to write just as entertaining just as exciting moments as any fantasy or in this case sci-fi story is mm -hmm. gonna have but also she's got so many uh, deep insightful things to say and i'm curious then uh, okay now she's actually got the playground of the world as it right. is taking place in modern day new york how can she take that and uh, maybe that removes some of the i guess distorted uh like we, we talk about like the black mirror concept right like holding up mm. a, a distorted mirror up to society and making it unfamiliar in order to like have us better recognize what's going on with our world than we could if when we're like in the middle of it with our 
own like biased perspectives and and views mm-hmm. um here she's got a mirror that more resembles what's actually happening and mm-hmm. she's got to figure out a way to get her points across uh while probably reaching a lot of people who come in with more preconceived notions about the direct events sure. than they would have if reading the Broken Earth trilogy, where For they're sure. like, oh, wait, this is kind of uh, like, you know, the uh, ways in which, like, uh, black people have been oppressed in mm-hmm. uh, the United States. You can see that in the Broken Earth trilogy, but it's not directly that right right it's not explicit like oh all right social media accounts are posting about us you know (laughs) it's like this is like very direct and i think you touched on something super interesting because nk jemison is of course noted for her ability to like a lot of her work especially when this book was published she had only written four books right only i say she had published four books three out of four one hugo's uh all around cultural (laughs) conflict and oppression right those are kind of her big two themes that she takes on pretty masterfully and has studied in 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 extreme depth and it's interesting that this is the first book she writes after her hugo sweeping broken earth trilogy and she even says in the acknowledgments of this book Um, It's been a surprise to me, and perhaps it shouldn't have been, that writing a story set in a real place, even a place that I know well, has required more research than all the other fantasy novels I've written combined. (laughs) And I think that's because she's really trying to embody the spirit of New York in order to make these big uh, themes hit close to home. I think the other thing that's interesting you'll note is that her last three books, uh, All One Hugo's, and this one did not. And you'll also note that her Goodreads rating on this book is significantly lower, still very high, but significantly lower than her other books as well. And, you know, this isn't the book that normally would win a Hugo and not because of its ability. I think N.K. Jemisin brings just as much talent and and voice and and thematic development to this book as she does to any of the to um the one book i read the fifth season in the broken earth trilogy um but this book is just much more fun it's much more action focused a lot of the book is just action set pieces um and then of course she's the literate the the like symbolism is very in your face and very direct unintentionally i think and that brings me to the other like really interesting thing i wanted to talk about in this book because a lot of the criticism that i see for this book and i say criticism because it's you know a goodreach choice nominee and it's still very highly rated it's just compared to when you sweep the hugos this is the criticism that you get they they say that oh like you know like all her cast is outrageously diverse like you have a uh 60 year old uh gay um native american as one of your avatars you know and then the other one is a gay black guy and the other one is a a black woman who was a rapper in her past life and is now a politician and all the evil person is called woman in white and they have alt-right accounts and i i guess the lack of subtlety is, is what's commonly pulled into question for her and i will admit that when as i was reading it that was like an initial gut reaction that i had too of like wow she's just really hamming it up and like like really venting some stuff <laughs> like by just going all out attack mode and then as you read it more and more you, you start to realize the 
um, underlying use of the genre that she's in. And you'll see in a lot of reviews and even Neil Gaiman's uh, cover blurb will say uh, contains Lovecraftian elements. This is a Lovecraftian story. It's like H.P. Lovecraft, the famous sci-fi author. And even throughout this book, Lovecraft comes up quite a bit. And what's interesting about that to me is like there's a love for the genre, but she's very critical of Lovecraft. And even in the story, she like the characters talk about him and they're like, but wasn't he like a xenophobe and just wanted an all white yeah. America and all his books were all super white and this and that. Um, and like, yes, that's true. And when I read this, I'm like, here's what she's doing. She's taking Lovecraft, who wrote like this very monogamous cultureless sci-fi stuff that was you know beloved by people whatever but it's a popular genre and here she is and she's eliciting the same reaction on the other side i I think the thinly veiled uh, symbolism is is on purpose and is in your face on purpose because she's like hey this is what it's like to be on the receiving end you know and here it is in full force like here's an ultra diverse both in like uh gender and sexual orientation and race and all this other stuff like as diverse as you could possibly create and it's going to be in your face and it, it won me over pretty quickly after that once you start reading the Lovecraftian uh, criticisms in the book you're like oh I see exactly what she's doing she's presenting the other she's fighting back you know which is exactly what New York City is doing fighting back against the monsters so to me it was a really clever use of the genre and a really creative way to take an author who maybe you like the stories or or you're in you're influenced by the author but their personal lives and beliefs were like super not okay and especially when you're an author who devotes their time to talking about uh cultural identity and oppression like that can be a hard line to balance like how do you be influenced by and also heavily criticize someone and i think she tackled it very well and i think she elicited these responses that ultimately are what she's trying to do when you talk about like cultural uh i not necessarily uh, cultural conflict i guess you could say it's that it's the conflict that comes up from being put in that position where you're reading it and so i was very to me that was the most interesting part about the story beyond all the beautiful new york isms that i was able to appreciate yeah that makes total sense and i think it's also the idea that creating a diverse cast to represent one of the most diverse cities right. in the world right this is new york city we're talking about and i think that di- like uh, if you're creating these avatars of particular areas like they're mm. not all just going to be uh, like m- you know me yelling about how my bagel doesn't have enough cream cheese on it as <laughs> that's why they left the avatar of long Island off. It's like, Oh, it's, it's still in Brooklyn, like Larry David <laughs> right. or something. <laughs> it's still in Marsh. The avatar of long Island. It's like, we're keeping it to the you boroughs. Think long just like, got an avatar? No way. <laughs> no, I'm saying they did it. It would be, but yeah. it would be me yelling about my uh, bagel, not having enough cream cheese on it. Exactly. And exactly. Like, and where's the coffee? I've been waiting for the coffee for so long, but <laughs> right, right. <laughs> unfortunately, that didn't happen. But I mean, we're talking New York City, one of the most diverse uh, cities that you'll find, and it's uh, 
sensible to have a diverse cast and you love a diverse cast it's just the do you want to be beaten over the head with certain messages and sometimes Mm -hmm. it's like uh, i mean i i didn't read the book so i don't know exactly i was executed but it's also it's nk jemison so i think you're probably right if there were times in which you're being beaten over the head with it it's because nk jemison wanted to beat you over the head with it because exactly like she's uh, capable of incredible subtlety as we saw in uh, the fifth season and and you see in the later books but she's also like extremely outspoken in her beliefs and if she mm-hmm. wants to get her point across and she wants to make sure like no there's no misunderstanding where i'm <laughs> coming from right now right. then right. she's going to do that too and i expect do it to great effect right Exactly. And that's exactly what she does here. It's supposed to be in your face. It's supposed to be eliciting that kind of response, that knee jerk response of like, whoa, she's really hard correcting. But what's good about it is it's at the very first, take all the cultural themes and all the New Yorkisms, it's all in there. But the number one thing that it is and the number one focus that I believe N.K. Jemison had was to have fun and write something exciting in your face and entertaining, um, which as entertaining as the fifth season is, it's it, it's one of those ones, you no know, gunning for a Hugo, whereas this I'm sure it's like, hey, if I want a Hugo, great, but I'm gunning for <laughs> entertaining people. You know, like this is what this book is trying to do. And that was a lot of fun to uh, to read because. I loved the broken earth, but it wasn't like they stopped and a whole chapter was dedicated to people fighting with supernatural abilities. There's some conflict and fighting and stuff, but this is like every other chapter. There's a fight, there's a action packed thing. And they're, they're able to take things um, that had any kind of significance, like the train and, and like run a train line into a monster or, you know, like whatever else they could find. Some one character takes like a newspaper and is able to like, supercharge it with power because newspapers are so prevalent in the city or, you know, whatever it is, you know, like they're able to do those kinds of things, taxis, all all that kind of stuff takes on a new power and can even in some cases be weaponized. So that was super fun. Um, there's also a lot of really random, um, you can tell she's having fun because she's quoting a lot of different like classic literature authors in her uh, dialogue. And it's really random. And I, and I, I had this weird moment that I couldn't, I was so like surprised that I caught this reference and I had no one to share it with. But as you know, it is the holiday season. And literally the book right before I read The City We Became, I I like to read um, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, right? It's only 80 pages. It's very short. It's a story I love. I read it every year. And so I read that and then immediately started reading The City We Became. And there's a quote from... Christmas Carol that is directly quoted in here and I'm like what the heck am I the only person that read these two books back to back and 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 <laughs> caught the quote and I was like who can I tell about this nobody so I guess it's a good thing that we have you can the tell show an and maybe entire some... audience of uh, podcast. <laughs> I was like thank goodness <laughs> I have right an audience now. that might appreciate it because <laughs> there's a short quote in um Christmas Carol where Scrooge sees the, his first ghost, right? And the ghost is like, why do you doubt your senses? And he goes, because little things can affect them. A slight disorder of the stomach makes them cheat. Uh, you may be an undigested bit of beet, a blot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of an underdone potato. There's more of gravy than of grave about you, whatever you are. That's the quote, Ooh. right? And so there's this scene where one of the avatars is like, 
fleeing a monster and she doesn't quite understand what what she's seeing and it's just like uh she has been sure until this moment that this was an optical illusion a reflection off one of the back seat windows combined with passing shifts of sunlight or a weird daydream she did have corned beef hash for breakfast maybe the mirror stuff is undigested beef or underdone potato and I read that I was like, what the heck? Is this like the most subtle, obscure reference on the planet that <laughs> only reading the two books back to back you're able to catch? And then I kind of was reading it more carefully. And there's a few other references that sound like they're quotes from other books, mm. but I didn't pull any for the episode. But that one, I was like, oh, my God, I read that. I was like, who do I tell? Who do I tell? I guess I'll just sit with this by myself. <laughs> and still. <laughs> how how obscure is that like that's clearly a deliberate um connection right i mean that that can't be mistaken as like parallel thought because it's clearly a undigested beef underdone potato those are the exact phrases in in christmas carol them i mean there's no confusing it's either well if you say there's other references to quotes from classic literature mm. then i'd say it's pretty hard to believe that this was coincidence if it was the only one i'd say like maybe maybe she just read the, the christmas carol and like it was just right. like in her head and she didn't think <laughs> what you, but uh yeah i'm probably not giving enough credit to four-time hugo award-winning uh, uh, and genius grant recipient right. uh and right. jemison so i'll say right. probably you're onto something there charles and i'm i'm right. glad that you have this platform oh such catharsis because you yeah. you don't know the world of frustration i was in when i discovered it and i was like i can't explain this to anyone without going into way too much detail but uh <laughs> but there you did <laughs> there i did and i did it i was like i yeah. have to because this was just too shocking to me it's the most obscure reference i think i've ever noticed in my career because i read them back to back who else has read these two books back to back probably nobody um so that was my little contribution there but um yeah to bring it all home um I, I would easily recommend this to anyone who has a connection to New York City just because it's a fun read and set in New York and you'll get to appreciate New York City in that way. Fans of N.K. Jemison's work obviously will will feel at home with this one. Um, you know, Neil Gaiman gave it a huge glowing endorsement as well. And I don't know, I, I just find it super interesting. Anyone who's interested in um, the themes that N.K. Jemisin like boldly and masterfully takes on around, um, again, uh, around uh, cultural conflict or oppression. It, it should read this as well, because I think there's more going on here than a lot of critics have have um, dove into and expressed. So I'm curious to see what other people think. I think the way she's purposefully subtly quoting authors and she's both um influenced by and fighting against lovecraft and all these other kind of old sci-fi authors i almost was gonna say tonal retort (laughs) but i don't know if it is tonally a retort as much as it is is like like that guy is a racist and I'm going to shove it back in his face, you know, by writing his kind of story just as good, but with my characters and and my themes fighting against him, you know? So it's kind of interesting that you can pull that influence and also pull that conflict, but a tonal lo- retort, I'm still trying to figure out what that, yeah. A love letter and breakup <laughs> there, letter to Lovecraftian literature. 
<laughs> yeah, that's more probably accurate. <laughs> that's probably yeah. more accurate. Uh, right. Well, letter. for those who who don't have all the context, so we quote it from time to time. Uh, that is what uh, R.F. Kuang called Babel in reference to, so she called it a tonal retort to Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell. Mm-hmm. And then she also called it her breakup letter. Yeah, like love letter and breakup letter to Oxford, where she mm-hmm. got, I think it was a master's that she got. It's hard to hard to keep track of all of R.F. Kuang's <laughs> graduate degrees at this point. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think she got a master's over at Oxford. And she, yeah, called Bab- Babel was very critical of like imperialism in uh, like academic institutions, especially those we consider like highly a prestigious academic right. institutions. And there is so. something to that, right? Which I also think N.K. Jemison's coming from where it's like, hey, this is the world we were kind of that we live in. And it's like, yeah, what am I going to do? Not get a master's at Oxford, but also I have significant mm-hmm. problems with the legacy of oxford and it's like you yeah. know what it means to my cultural identity at the same time that's a very conflicting um experience to have and so yeah it's in those ways it's very similar i think the main reason i would want to read Babel is to fully understand what a tonal retort means because i've read <laughs> i've read jonathan strange and mr norell and i don't quite know what a tonal retort well, is i like the phrase <laughs> but one day I'll get there. Well, that's I'll why I have them. to read Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell. Because right now, Charles, we just got, I've got the retort. You've got the original. We don't even, we still don't truly understand the phrase. And we use it constantly. So and we use it constantly. Yeah. Uh, and the love and breakup letter to, uh, it's definitely a love and breakup letter to Lovecraftian literature, for sure. Uh, yeah. That, I think. Was there that the much FDA love in blurb. it? No, I mean, it's, it's <laughs> just the only love is that they use the same imagery and it's the same style of story, right? So that's the love part. But she has no problems highlighting Lovecraftian's problematic views on society and and like putting stuff that he would probably hate into a similar genre of story, yeah. you know, like, no. And that's very purposefully done. And we know N.K. Jemison has always been part of this, like, hey, fight back however you got to, like, you know, do, like, take the advantages that you can get and also continue to, like, present, like, your themes on culture and on all of that, like, don't give up that identity at the same time. So I admire that greatly about her. It can be so hard, especially these days, to enter the conversation around culture wars and identity without being labeled, like, like being part of this absolutely toxic discourse online, but she's mm-hmm. in the middle of it, man. She's in the thick of it. She's writing books right. like this, which can be almost antagonizing sometimes, but um, it, it's all for the sake of, of what makes a city alive is its cultural diversity and its rich heritage. And you have to protect that. Like what good is uh, New York if it's just a bunch of high rises and Starbucks, you know, like the, you kill the city when you do that. And that's the whole point of this story, right? It's like you can call a place New York City, but you can kill any hope it had of living just as easily um, and and then having it be a living city. So I think that's mm. the 
really interesting point that comes across in the city we became. And I have started the second book, um, The uh-huh. World We Make. And I'm listening to it on audiobook. And what's interesting, it scared the hell out of me because I didn't know it was going to have like <laughs> moments where it would have like horn honking and people oh, shouting no. and, and stuff like driving. that. So for the first like two hours, it's just someone narrating very masterfully. And also it's like, and then all of a sudden she, he became the city and he could hear the horns honking like me, me. And I'm like, holy crap. Like what is it? And you like people whispering. I'm like, someone like around, like what's going on? I was like, oh, this is like, they're giving me city sounds, cityscape sounds. And <laughs> so every once in a while it will have weird effects and, and like, you know, TV, like audio coming through a TV sound like, mur, 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 and, you know, like all that stuff. Every <laughs> once in a while peppered in, it's like highly produced in that way. I haven't listened to a book like that in a while. I know like graphic audio is a thing. I always avoid those, but this was not labeled as graphic audio. So it was kind of surprising. <laughs> I, I, I like it, but I wasn't prepared. <laughs> I've had times where I forget what song it is. It might be like a song by 21 Pilots or something, but there's like, a sound that sounds exactly like police sirens, essentially. And I'm oh, yeah. like, oh, no. Like, if I'm driving and listening to it, I'm like, oh, no. Like, I'm going to get a ticket. I'm getting pulled over. Like, what do I do? But, yeah, it sounds like that can be pretty jarring there, Charles. Oh, yeah. Last but- thing that I'm curious about here, Charles, you briefly mentioned that Tulane uh, graduate, mm-hmm. fellow Tulane graduate, Yes. N.K. Jemison. And when yes. I say fellow, I mean fellow to you. That's your yes. album. Me and N.K. Jemison yes. are both Tulane alums. Went to yes, Tulane. It's true. Yes, mm. she's much younger than you. But the you did both attend that institution. We and, did. We we're peers yeah. in that way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she she disparaged the city of New Orleans by saying that New Orleans was unable to that's an interesting one because the way it's described the way it's described and it's not a spoiler to say this is that she does acknowledge that new orleans is a city rich in culture and rich in identity and it's older than the united states so giving it the first chance to come alive is to me considered respect and honor to the city right she's like Uh. hey new orleans had a shot but then it's like oh the avatar was kind of neglected and then it got caught in all this crazy politics and stuff. And then mm. it, it it had this, like, I would compare it to a stillbirth, if you will. Um, and that's just more of a commentary on the things that happened around Hurricane Katrina and the way the government so failed the city and the way the city has fallen into, like, corruption and, like, no long-term planning whatsoever. And its culture is just too volatile, you know? And, and so... I respect that as someone who also lived in New Orleans for like six years and then left the city. It's like, <laughs> oh, it's a beautiful city that I love very, very much. But would I start a family there? Would I own property there? If I it's like, no, I don't think I would. It's it's too risky. <laughs> like there's there's no <laughs> one thinking long term in that place. It's just like uh, tourism and corrupt government, and it can be hard as much as you love the culture to to invest in a town like that so i think nk and i are on the same wavelength that we both love the city but um it it didn't make it into this Mm. cityhood this alive aspect of the of the world and she'll even mention other cities and how successful or old or young they are it's no spoiler to say that the second 
youngest city is Sao Paulo in Brazil because it's the the, the youngest city helps the newest like the newest city gets helped by the oh. most youngest to like survive the gotcha. coming alive aspect and then like that's how they kind of keep it was like here's what's happening you're not going crazy like, here's what you got to do and, like this here's how it works you know so sao paulo is a is a very present character in the in the story so it's it's interesting in that way but yeah it's a really interesting way to take on um just politics and, and you know um I'm trying, what's the word for it? I already said it. Where the gentrification, it, you know, it's literally that. Where it's like gentrification is literally killing a city. You know, a way to take those mm. fantasy elements and and bring them alive. Like like, what if by gentrifying a city or a borough, you could kill that borough? You know, like because yeah. like I mentioned, the war is fought on two fronts, right? There's literally throwing crap at each other and punching and kicking each other, and then there's uh like going on to social media, running for elections, buying property, you know, that kind of stuff is also how they fight the war. So it, it was a really one of the more interesting cultural appropriation or um, which is weaponized in this quite literally and gentrification that is weaponized quite literally in this to kill a, a living city. That makes sense, Charles. How would fixing that giant pothole that was outside of your house in new orleans would that positively or negatively affect the city and can you speak to the time you were on television excellent so you you must be referring to the time where i (laughs) was on pothole of the month on the local news (laughs) i did have a wonderful pothole in front of my apartment i could have been the avatar of new orleans i think that people have been very surprised by that they're like who's this white guy is the avatar of new orleans but it's like hey i had the pothole of the month Okay, so that's power right there. Um, Yeah. It's interesting because they talk about how certain things just by nature of being so integral to the city become a part of it. And I think for sure potholes could definitely be a device that that, um, could be used by the avatar of New Orleans to – as a as a either fighting back or something like that but maybe like the lack of supporting the infrastructure could also kill them so i guess it depends nk jemison's the master i'll leave it to her i could see it going either way i guess it just depends on what statement you're trying to make about the state of the city it's like are we prideful and that we're we are scrappy and we deal with what we got here's a pothole to the face or is it like, oh, no, no one's repairing our roads. My circulation is getting cut off. I'm going to die. You know, which, which is it going to be? You know? And it or sounds like N.K. Jemison by killing her New Orleans avatar, kind of made that statement already. But, yeah, that's a good question, Dylan. <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to ask N.K. Jemison one day. And yeah, then I'll attach my uh, clip of being on the pothole of the month on the local news just so she knows I'm for real. Yeah, I remember – I think I found the clip – I'm like in the immediate aftermath of that, but then not long after that, the clip was no nowhere to be found. So if anyone I know, can find right? The they clip, didn't archive the, it. Like, what's going yeah, on? Yeah, I know. It's sad. It's lost to to time. I was just and in my house. I was in my pajamas or something. Were you in your? Yeah, in, I was trying to remember, it, like in a bathrobe or in your pajamas. I was in like a hoodie and sweats, you know. And some oh, okay. dude knocks on my door, and I open it, and he's like, "Hi, we're so and so, a pothole of the month." Like, we noticed this big pothole in front of your house. I'm like, "Yeah, it's a pain in the ass." <laughs> it's right in front of my driveway. It's been there since I moved in, like a year and a half ago. 
<laughs> and uh, yeah, they, they filmed it and moved on. So yeah, great segment, wasn't, great city. Yeah, wasn't there also a big pothole outside of like on the road at one point when I'd go down to your like your house that you grew up in? Wasn't there a pothole for a while there too? Mm, like a, there may have been on Long Island. One? There may yeah. have been. I remember when you, we were driving together and you did get a flat tire. I remember that day. Yes. Um, so, and that was on my street. So I guess there, yeah. there was. I don't really remember. Um, but Those yeah, potholes have plagued me my whole career. But I live in Atlanta now. There's not too many potholes, actually. I will say the roads here are good, but it is a very car dependent city, which I think if NK Jemison were to write about it, that would be a, a, a detriment. But um, yeah. No at, at least to Atlanta, with, with but come I feel cars like... dependency comes good roads at least. Sure. No offense to Atlanta, but I feel like if culture is one of the like a vibrant, <laughs> a divert, like uh, culture, like <laughs> idiosyncratic to that particular place, uh, is a prerequisite. Atlanta might not be among the first to to become alive i feel like it's mostly transplants like uh, and they haven't really found themselves they do have that aquarium but we're we're still waiting uh they'll probably beat out fort collins colorado but maybe not by that much <laughs> yeah. i mean i think yeah that's true it, there's not a lot of rich culture and we're a relatively new city for the united states also like we're comparative to so many other of the big cities we're one of the younger ones anyway so we've got a long ways to go but i I think it's almost too late for us we're too separated and by roads and it's just like what culture do we have we've got the airport well like (laughs) that's it um uh, your culture is like (laughs) getting people out of there and to other places that do have culture yes yes (laughs) um hey promising place for for a career you know like good opportunities but that does not necessarily make culture and yeah i'd be curious to have nk jemison kind of profile the the potential avatar for atlanta and why it wouldn't necessarily make it ascend to to a live status (laughs) um but that's just to speak highly to this magic system that she's created and just how fun it is to try and like give personification to your own city and why it wouldn't succeed in this and that like she's these very loosely constructed rules of this i would say soft magic system um create a lot of interesting thought and they all relate to our lives personally too because these are real places that we as uh, americans anyway and especially us as people from the northeast can can really closely relate to so um she takes a few shots at long island which i'll let slide uh but really um, yeah, it's just being like, okay, that's obviously not the city or like, or God forbid, Long Island, you know, like they'll, it's almost like Jersey jokes, but Long Island yeah. instead. And I'm like, come on, guys, like, you're not Jersey. Let's be real here. <laughs> it's a little more love to Jersey also than I would expect from a, like, really? not, a, not a ton of love, but definitely it's, more love than I would expect. Is but, NK from New York City originally or? Um, does she no, I think now? she's like, from uh she grew up in new york city but she's from all over the place um i'm looking at her wikipedia now let's see born in iowa um she grew up in new york city and mobile alabama uh she attended tulane from 1990 to 94 Mm -hmm. right and then she went on to study counseling yeah a little Mm -hmm. younger 
I was um, not even born in 1990, but that's okay. She lived in Massachusetts for 10 years, then moved to New York City, and she currently lives in New York City as well, I believe. So definitely very familiar with the city, definitely a native mm. and all that. So um, yes, it was really it was really fun. And I, and I would recommend it to anyone who loves New York City because it is entertaining in that value alone. She does, there's like New York City references a mile a minute. You know, there's just so many and uh, it, it's fun for that. More like a mile in New York minute, am I right? But oh, that's even faster. <laughs> uh, they do move fast over there in New York City. Yeah, they get a lot one done. Thing. Yeah, but <laughs> all right. Well, uh, speaking of moving fast, I don't know if we accomplished that in this episode, but we. No, I do think have reached the uh, a logical endpoint for yes. our discussion. Uh, any final words? here charles or can we just head to that sweet sweet outro music no i think we're all set highly recommend you know if it sounds remotely interesting check it out nk jemison you can't go wrong and we'll be back soon to finish off the powder mage trilogy so you don't want to miss that and then after that we're going right into another exciting series of friends pitching fantasy which i'm already starting to figure out what books i'm going to present exciting. for us to read in the future so it's all, it's all very exciting so i think there's all that needs to be said and all we gotta do now is play that sweet sweet outro music let's get that sweet sweet outro music pumping charles okay here we go Thank you, everyone, one and all, for listening to yet another very exciting episode of the Friends Talking Fantasy Podcast. If you like what you heard today and you want to support the show, go ahead and reach out to us over on the socials at the FTF Podcast on Instagram and at the FTF Podcast with number one on the end for Twitter. Now, Dylan, if they like what they heard on the show today and they want to support us even more than engaging with us over on the socials, what can they do? Toss five stars to our podcast, which you can do over on Spotify where most of you are listening. But I do have to say, you know, I used to say it's just two clicks at the top of the Friends Talking Fantasy podcast feed. Well, Spotify did something that I don't think is smart, but they decided that you should have to click about and then click the ratings and then give your star amount. Why are ratings under the about section on Spotify? I don't know. I don't run Spotify. Yeah, I'm just a co-host of a measly fantasy podcast. But it does help us so much if you toss five stars to our podcast. Do they not want our show to grow and prosper? (laughs) They don't seem to be very invested. I don't think the Spotify Corporation is very invested in our podcast in particular. (laughs) Um, But they... They seem to have made it harder for all podcasts. And anyway, go ahead and do that. Uh, We love when you do that. But we also love when you rate and review on Apple Podcasts. A little more intuitive over there. And you can write stuff uh, and just say nice things. Because that always puts a smile on my face and presumably on Charles's face as well. But just listening is more than enough. Thank you so much for doing that. Well said, Dylan. Just listening more than enough. Thank you all so much for making it all the way to the end. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We greatly appreciate you guys. And Happy New Year. And as always, go forth and conquer, friends. <laughs>